Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Supplemental, number 50. Looking for Utopia at Comic-Con. Welcome into this supplemental edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Now, each week on Mission Log, we pick apart an episode of Star Trek, examining it for morals, meanings, messages, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. And that is not what we're doing today. Ooh, I was so ready for you to say that. Yes. Yeah, because it's convention season, and if there's one thing we say during convention season, it is, that is not what we're doing today. We uh, we started that bit, uh, the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, 2016. Yeah, and boy, it never gets old unless you're one of the people who listens to it every time that we do it. But hey, you might even get to hear us uh, do it live if you join us at STLV. Well, now hold your horses, Mr. Champion, because we're mm-hmm. not talking yet about STLV. I say it's convention season. Uh, we just, in the past few days, uh, got back from San Diego Comic-Con, which was just like a one big, nutty comic-filled thing if you were, like, at one end of the convention. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like a whole convention full of, uh, well, let's see, there, there's movies and TV shows yep. and uh, and anime and comics. Yes. And there, there are comics in there, too. Toys, mm-hmm. collectibles. Yeah. Yes. Art. I know, you saw, I know you saw a couple of paintings that you were like, oh, man, if Ooh, I yeah. hadn't just spent that $5,000 on food, <laughs> right, I might buy that is- painting. What I did, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you know what I found out about myself, and I've known this for a while, but I found out that uh, that I can pick out uh, Jack Kirby. I, oh, which, that's good. Yeah, it's like, You don't mean the guy, you mean his work. No, I wouldn't yeah, be able you to know, pick out Jack Kirby. You know, a Jack Kirby, like, hey, there, there's a Jack Kirby. <laughs> He's going to pick that, out a Jack that, Kirby. That guy, I don't know that guy's name. But, oh, hey, yeah. we're having people over. Would you stop and pick up a Jack Kirby? <laughs> no, not like that, but... Yeah, whatever. There was there was some original Jack Kirby art uh, on sale there. Uh, starting price ten thousand dollars. Yeah, and so uh, so I, I didn't get any Jack Kirby. Oh, but, I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> no, shocked. Yeah, but there it was nonetheless. Anyway, we were at Comic Con. We actually did a couple of panels while we were at Comic Con. Uh, had some meetups. It was a, it was wonderful to uh, see old friends, uh, make new friends, all kinds of stuff. Um, you and I actually got to be on two panels this year at Comic-Con. Yeah, so we always kick it off early with the Roddenberry Presents panel. And now typically that panel is a lot of uh, what is Roddenberry up to uh, now or within the last year or coming up. And uh, this year the focus was about podcasts, and it's where we introduced a new podcast. You'll hear all that later. Because the other thing that we do during the week of Comic-Con is uh, we always join Larry's panel, Larry Nemechek, Dr. Trek, uh, his panel that he's been putting together the last couple of years 
about uh, well, something topically driven, and, and that's what we're going to play for you today. And uh, it, it was, you know, another one of those intriguing ideas that I think, man, it, had I actually taken the time, which I should do now, and spend like six months doing a deep dive of research... You know, that this could become a whole series. It's a great topic. It's about utopia and whether or not the Star Trek idea of utopia is passe. And all the hosts you're going to hear today, they ask their audiences, uh, what do you think about this proposition? And then we get to sort of pick it apart and and even just try to figure out what the terms mean and how that applies to Star Trek. So that's really here today. And then Ken and I will be back right after that discussion to tell you what is coming up for Mission Log and for the rest of convention season. There we go. Um, we had an idea this year to uh, throw... Everybody has podcasters, readers, listeners, audiences out there. We thought we would throw out a question. Is Utopian Trek passe on several levels? Maybe not to you personally, which we're, I'm finding out from some of the folks I ask, and maybe the panel, and maybe you all. But let's go down the line here. Um, the initial instinct that was two levels. One, is it passe to a modern 2019 audience? Is it passe to the movers and shakers and suits and bean counters that fund media? Or, you know, the throwback is, is throwback Star Trek to the 60s or even the 80s, 90s, the bright shining light that would stand out from today's audience. Or do people in the industry even know how to do bright, shiny, happy <laughs> dramas anymore? Anyway, that's all in the mix, and I'm sure we'll take some sidebars on at a time. But let me introduce in brief our panel today, and then we'll hear from them uh, a little more in depth. So, John Champion, that you all know from Mission Log and Mission Log Live. Hello. Ken Ray, also Mission Log, Mission Log Live, and his own Mac podcast, Mac OS Ken. Christine Rideout, who sits in many times, writes for Trek Movie and sits in on the Shuttle Pod, their podcast. Uh, Allison Pitt, who late of uh, Priority One Pod, now you can catch her on Daily Star Trek News. And Aaron Harvey, who did a wonderful series and is returning back to it, Saturday Morning Trek on Trek FM. Just got his book, uh, The Animated Star Trek Series Guy. Oh, he has one with him. Just released. <laughs> Yay, Aaron. And what's the other thing? Oh, and then um, the new spinoff, Improvised. Yes, we're doing an uh, Improvised Improv Star in LA. Trek. Yep. Wanted to mention that. So I'm throwing that out. I want to see who wants to bite. I've got some comments from some folks here, but let's take this. John, this was your, uh, in the pack of ideas, this was your idea. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, the, the whole idea was really to ask our audiences what they thought. Uh, for those of you who might listen to Mission Log, do we have Mission Log listeners here today? Oh, nice. Thank you, four of you. Um, <laughs> great to meet all of you. Um, you know, something that we've dealt with in Mission Log, because we go episode by episode in series order, not, not strict chronological order, but in series order, um, we sort of want to see the way that Star Trek changes over time, and then we want to see, when we get to the end, are there unifying messages about all of Star Trek? And of course, here we are in the middle of, not quite the middle of Deep Space Nine, and there's a big tonal shift in Star Trek. And any of you who are relatively new to Trek, and maybe you're watching Discovery, maybe that is your first Trek, that's totally different from what came before it. So we're trying to get an idea here to say, at the heart of all of Star Trek are these sort of grand ideas, and, and one of those being that we really 
kind of nailed in the next generation is that humanity has gotten past a lot of, uh, a lot of the difficulties that hold us back. So post-scarcity society, we've eliminated war and poverty and, and the, the petty things that divide us. Um, do all these series reflect that? And if they don't, as you were saying, Larry, is that because of audience expectation? Is that because it's the vision that the writers have? Is it maybe a question that goes higher than that? Are studios more interested in putting out the darker version of something? It's funny, coming to Comic-Con, I didn't know that there was a new Dark Crystal, and I asked Ken, like, wow, it's Dark Crystal? It's, isn't that 30-something years old? And he said, no, it's the new one. It's darker. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I yeah. haven't seen it. We don't know. I assume. Yeah, we don't. But there's a Trek yeah. connection there because Jason Isaacs and Shazad Latif are in it. Oh, they're both part of it. Cool. Yeah. Well, cool. actually, three years from now, the next Trek spinoff will be Dark Time Crystal. So then, nice. Yeah. nice. So uh, we asked our audience, and I think everybody else here asked uh, their audiences, their respective audiences, and, and it was really gratifying to see that uh, 13% of our listeners said that utopian Star Trek is passé. This idea of humanity having reached a, a, a level of, I, I hesitate to say perfection, but a level of cooperation, uh, a level of getting past these petty differences. Uh, but 87% of you said no. No, it, 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 that is not a passé idea. It's not something to be thrown out with uh, idealistic 60s. And uh, as I look at it, at least those early years of next gen, that very much had a foot in 1960s Star Trek, um, those ideas are still relevant. And some would argue, and looking at the comments that we got, some would say that they are more relevant today than they were 50 years ago or 30 years ago. Um, some would say that we, we need to be uh, reminded of and reinvigorated with those ideas of a utopian future. And before we go into anyone else, I, something I meant to say, in case you've been in a cave, today is obviously the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 landing. Uh-huh. And, well, sure. And as I put this slide together, I wanted to, I wanted to say there's a lot, of, a lot of focus will be on today and this week and Apollo 11, but aside from, there were other six missions that went to the moon and three that were canceled for budget or other reasons because people were losing interest. It's important to remember that the Apollo project Yes was John F. Kennedy, yes was the early 60s, yes was pre-assassination, pre-Vietnam, all those (laughs) dystopian story fomenting uh, issues that were starting to tear the country apart. But in the early 60s, that John F. Kennedy optimism is what bore the Apollo project. So I wanted to put the the, the lifeline there, the the full lifetime of the project Apollo up as a tie-in to the fact that that is the actual, uh, that's the stuff that Star Trek was conceived in, that can do early 60s, square-jawed, hey, we all just get smart people wherever they come from and put them in a room, we'll solve this problem, and we'll get on to the future. You know, hey, fi- uh, the real final frontier. But n- not to be that guy, but I would even extend that timeline a little bit. Apollo Soyuz launched 1975, I, mm-hmm, I, and there, there we have that great moment of the hardened enemy of the Soviet Union and America's NASA actually linking up in space uh, with one yeah. of the uh, Apollo CSMs. And yeah. using Apollo hardware, yeah. I was yeah. just going to do the Wikipedia yeah. standard, the last yeah. Apollo 17. But yeah, I, was, I thought of that. And Skylab was a... Yeah. An offshoot. Uh, Skylab uh, was a third, unused yeah. third stage from the Saturn V. Yeah. Uh, but just to put things in... So yay, Apollo 11 today! And let's, it ties so totally into what we're 
what we're doing today. Aside from the episode that happened a week before the moonshot. Simon, yeah. Um, yes. Go. Can go. <laughs> I, 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 you guys are unique because you co-host Mission Log, the podcast, but you also have Mission Log Live, where you really have direct yeah. interaction. I would say, and, and that sort of goes to what I was thinking about, the is Star Trek, utopian Star Trek passe. If you watch what happened with season two of Discovery, it seems to me that the thing that people glom to most uh, was Pike. Yeah. Was Pike and Spock in number one. And I don't think that's just nostalgia, because I know a lot of people were not happy about the idea of revisiting those characters. We had those characters give me something new. And yet, with all the darkness that happens on Discovery and around Discovery and, and the furrowed brows of everybody on Discovery, uh, Pike came in, and he's bright gold. And he's really shiny. And, and you even have uh, Starfleet saying, we wanted our best and our brightest someplace safe. I mean, I think the best and brightest should actually be in the middle of all of it, because that might, you know shine on everyone else as well but like just from the stuff that we've seen Star Trek do recently I think uh, and the the fan reaction of that is is proof that even if you think it's passe or even if you know you as a viewer think it's passe there's something that happened uh, when those uh, when those characters and those ideas sort of started hitting the screen again well four words is Trek utopia is utopian Trek passe four words that can go on a lot of different levels and textures and one of the you know defined terms but one of the things I meant was, yes, a chunk, how much, 73, 83% of your audience. I think most people say, I love Star Trek for the utopianism, but is, are we up against a brick wall that the makers now just don't think, even if they would prefer to do that, they're in a brick wall. It's like that gets into media and audiences and our culture at large. So I'm not trying to prejudge anything here. A lot of people would prefer that, but maybe that's a, you know, a sidebar question too. I think we're, well, we're dancing around all these things, but I'm not saying do, do most people think it has to be one way or the other. There's, there's a meta, one or two meta levels to this. Hmm. I well, yeah. um, I polled our podcasters on ShuttlePod um, when I found out what the topic was, because I'm actually their social media manager, so I promote who, them. Who are your co-hosts, Christine? Um, Plug so it. that would be Kayla Iacovino and Matt Wright and Brian Drew and um, sometimes Lori Ulster. Anyways, um, it was unanimous that they all said, no, it's not passe, because without that positive future and that hope for humanity's future, it's, it's not Star Trek. That's what, that's what the message of Star Trek seems to have been since the beginning. Um, and I think what Ken just touched on with Discovery and how people really um, were so excited about Captain Pike and, and that part of this past season, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, as far as your question about what do the studios think and what do the writers think, if you look at what the top shows are, Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, right? It's all death and mayhem and backstabbing and dystopian and dark. And so they're like, hey, that's what sells. Let's, let's add a little of that in the, into the mix. But I do think that um, that positive hope for where we're going, I don't think any of us want to end up in a world like Handmaid's Tale or Game of Thrones, right? I think we would all rather have that hope for humanity that we're going to get past our differences. Even if we still have a war against the Romulans or the Dominion or whatever, still as humanity, we've come together and united. And I think it's even more um, relevant and inspirational now, because I feel like the world, the country, the world, 
generally has a lot of division. Yeah. So no, it's not passe. We yeah. need it. <laughs> okay. Who's going to mention the Orville first? Who's going to mention what? The Orville first. Uh, well, I think that would be you. <laughs> that would be Actually, me. Right, yeah. That'd I guess you just did. did. That's the one thing yeah. I will say. I mean, no, it's not one of the number one shows on television, but it's been renewed for season three. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also moving to Hulu. Yep. Is it really? Yep. Oh, never mind. Mm, sorry. <laughs> oh, actually, uh, no, that isn't well, that a death toll. Hulu's just been bought by Disney, and yeah. so it's a possibility yeah. that that's actually being used that as a flagship their show. So wait, 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 I, that's wait, definitely what? not a death Everybody's toll. Everybody's overlapping. What I'm now? sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I wanted to hear you then, Christine. Uh, well, uh, uh, it sounds when you when you move something to a streaming only service, it sounds kind of like the death knell, right? But um, Hulu's actually just been bought by Disney, so um, the, it's a possibility that what they're mm. looking for is a flagship. We don't know yet. If that's sort of only just been announced, so I wouldn't see that as a death knell for the Orville just yet. Also, I mean, they announced it today, and Seth MacFarlane said he feels like he'll have a lot more freedom moving mm-hmm. to the streaming service and be able to do a lot more. Um, perhaps his budget could go up. I'm not sure about you know those behind the scenes. Been waiting details. for this shoe to drop, the yeah. Firefly shoe to drop. You know, it's uh, amazing they've had two seasons. Well, he has a lot of clout. clout with right, Fox, right. He's and got so a lot of brownie He got it made, the- but they're moving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and as far as moving to streaming service, I don't think that's a death knell either. I think that is the entertainment industry now. Yeah, if you see the success of um, the the Discovery and other shows that are streaming only that are being nominated for Emmys, um, it's certainly not the niche broadcasting um, channel that it used to be a few years ago. Yeah. Even user-generated content is getting millions of views, so it's like that, that can't even be made by just you at home. Can I pose a question? Um, of course. Do any of us think that actually, you know, because I think uh, you talked about a tonal shift with Deep Space Nine um, in particular. Do any of us actually think that the, the idea of a utopian future uh, changes across the series? Because the way mm-hmm. that I've kind of perceived it is that we all, and including the people who make it, well, right. take it as, a, as granted. And then what we're seeing with the different series is that as each series tries to establish its own identity they take a look at different aspects or different things, in be- maybe in between the journey between uh, now and the utopia, or maybe they're looking at, it's a utopia, but here's what's happening on the fringe, etc. But do any utopia of us... Utopia for who? You know, that, that, yeah. yeah, exactly. Do any of us actually think that Star Trek, in any way, shape, or form, doesn't say there's a utopia, eventually? I don't think it necessarily says that there isn't a utopia, but the question that I have is why are we always concentrating on the people that are having to fight to make that happen? I mean, from, what, TNG? I mean, TNG, everybody was fine, and then there was a bunch of other stuff that happened, and now it always seems to sort of be the hero's journey in a way, or, you know, it's concentrating on one person, or we're all going to, you know, or, or we're all going to die or something along those lines. However, when you look at Enterprise and Discovery, the reason why... It's focusing on that journey to what we had in TNG is because they were prequels. But it, the, what is that? What, was what, their each, each hero can have a journey, journey in turn that, that then dominoes or stands on the shoulders of. But why yeah. does why does CBS um, seem af- after TNG? Why do they seem so eager to only ever present to us on screen the struggle? Because TNG, we the the struggles were very much an othered. Um, is that struggle in Voyager? Um, Societies, well, well, they were they were basically abroad in a in a yeah. foreign quadrant and dealing with those problems. But the the ideals of 
of the Federation were still stable and they were, um, it was, you know, the other people who were having the issues, but the Federation was all fine. I feel that's mostly what it, what it is in Deep Space Nine as well. Uh, I disagree with that. We should have that on a podcast. Um, we, <laughs> but why does, why does CBS seem intent to, to show us on our screens what all the struggle is? Where you know, Because TNG was the last time that the Federation was kind of like, the Federation is all good, we're fine, we're copacetic. Uh, it's those guys over there that are having problems and we're going to help. But since then, we haven't had that vision. And maybe that's why we feel like it's darker well, DS9 was set TV. out as the darker... I mean, it became a, you know, a ridiculous bumper it's sticker. It's the, the darker, the frontier, grittier. And, you have and Voyager was just lost, but everything yeah. back home was supposedly right. status quo. But do we I think... If, are we ever going to get that on our screens again, or is that something that, that doesn't get made anymore because people don't like to see happy people on television? Well, that, again, that's like the bigger culture of media and audience <laughs> yeah. and storytelling, yeah. you know. I also wonder if some of that has to do with the, the shorter seasons that we get. Like, it's easier to... To bring mm-hmm. in a struggle and a a more contentious storyline when you have like thirteen episodes as opposed to twenty six episodes where you can kind of just have one episode where it's you know data getting ready for a wedding you know where, you, where the, today that might not be like wow you've wasted that entire hour and Honestly, now we should bring that back yeah but, no I, I don't disagree I just but I think that might be part of that even well even DS9's story you know Dominion war arcs were never more than you know, six episodes 10 episodes and then the wrap up was the last 13 so they never had a and even when they were having a longer arc story there was still an episodic like a B plot that wrapped up at the end of the show yeah. which is what we had grown accustomed to as Star Trek fans yeah and the other example would be the Zindi year of of um, of Enterprise which had, like, one-off, mm-hmm. you know. But this time we're mm-hmm. going to time travel to Detroit with a couple of Zindi, but it's really about, you know, doing a period show. Something that's really interesting to me about uh, when we talk about utopias, first of all, you have to define right. uh, what the utopia <laughs> is, what the goals are, and a utopia for who. You know, and, and we've mentioned this sometimes on Mission Log, particularly when we were talking about the original series where it seems like everybody was a colonist just trying to get out of, of Earth or wherever they were and, and go set up their own colony, their own society someplace else, which automatically makes you wonder, well, what was wrong with what they had that they felt like they needed to go someplace else in, a, in another solar system and go set up shop there? Um, but when we were discussing those episodes a lot of times, we would talk about the historical utopias. And you have to talk about them in the historical context because... I can't think of any that are there now, here, here on Earth now. You know, so typically when, when you talk about this stuff, there are people that set on their own to create these communes, create places they could live with supposedly the, the same set of ideals and principles and philosophy, and they're all gone within about a generation. You know, and, and that's not to say that people don't work hard at it, but there are too many unknowns and, and maybe, uh, the more people who get attracted to that, well, you then introduce the idea just by having more people that this is not a utopia for all of those people who are there. So something that I find very interesting on Star Trek, like a show like Deep Space Nine, is that you can say, well, the Federation has done extremely well in certain places. Uh, Earth is great. And these other planets are great. Vulcan, they're nailing it. They're so good at what they do, being Vulcan all day long. Um, 
But there's somebody out there for whom this utopia isn't quite meeting their needs. It isn't quite the utopia that they thought it would be. I think that's a realistic thing to approach. It's a realistic thing to at least address in a show. Maybe Star Trek is special in this respect because it is so vast. We're not just talking about a handful of people on a ship anymore. We're talking about planets and colonies and multiple ships and multiple alien cultures. And part of the fun of the narrative is figuring out, well, how do we negotiate all of these things? How do we navigate all of these things for all of these people who have different ideas of what their lives should be? Or... <laughs> oh, great. We could just, Thank we goodness just, we're recording this. For we, could, we could just tell a good story. We could go ahead and start with, I mean, because I don't think it is necessarily Star Trek's job to tell us how to get there. I think Star Trek just sort of sets the mood of we're going to get there. And then you still tell stories, it's just those stories are about alien races, but they're still us. Anybody who's listened to our show has heard me say a million times, I'm not the guy on the Enterprise. I mean, I am the guy on the Enterprise, but I'm also the guy on the planet. And I'm also the guy who's trying to screw the people on the planet and, like, you know, uh, swindle them. And I'm everybody who's mad about that. I mean, I'm all of those things. In the end, I mean, it starts with we're all going to be good. And hopefully it ends with we're all going to be good. And, and if you make that your, your mindset, it feels to me like you can't help but go in the right direction. If your starting point is we're going to get to a good place, then, then the group of us go, if somebody's like, okay, the best way to get to a good place is kill all those people. And hopefully all the other people standing there go, well, hold on, I really don't think that is the best way to get to the good place. And then, so we all like, if we all set our, our eyes on the prize, the North Star, the best way to be, whichever, even if Star Trek doesn't tell us exactly how to do that, with that as our starting point, I mean, then we're, I don't want to go so far as to say we're halfway there, but we're at least pointed in the right direction, as opposed to, well, yeah, the last Star Trek said that everything was going to be fine, but really, I mean, because that's, that's only for that part, not, not the rest of it, not no, the real part. No, but even in the original series, there are episodes that are what I, what I kind of typified as the course correction. It's like, we're, we're doing all these things right. We're making progress all the time. And, and let's face it, some of our listeners said, well, look, if you're talking about perfection, you're talking about the Borg. Everybody thinks as one. Everybody behaves as one. Is that really a desirable outcome? Probably not. I think most people would say that's not a desirable outcome. Um, but it's okay within the context of, let's face it, what is Star Trek? Morality plays or morality tales about who we are. They're not about the future. They're reflective of the times that they are made, uh, as all science fiction is. So I think it's okay every now and then to have those episodes that say, well... Yet, some of this stuff may not be believable. Let's talk about how we can actually get there. Let's talk about the building blocks of how, in this supposed future, we did get there. Not every story has to be that. Not every story has to be doom and gloom. Um, don't, don't you think that um, by focusing too much um, on Star Trek telling us how we're going to get there, you're actually stifling innovation and imagination? Mm. Because if you start with the end point, like Ken was saying, that this is our utopian future that we're going to work in... Um, then the audience has the opportunity to think up how are they going to take steps in order to get to that endpoint. Whereas if you focus on uh, Star Trek or CBS or the producer or the director, whoever, if you focus on them telling you what you need to do to get there, 
then you're actually kind of narrowing your vision of what could possibly be. And I, and I think that potentially is detrimental to what we're all trying to do, which is get to the end point. You can also move into preachy. Yeah. Know, mm-hmm. really oh, quickly. and Star Trek's never been preachy, thank no, goodness. No. <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> never been preachy. Yeah. Well, we're actually already about halfway preachy. through our 50 minutes. So, I mean, seriously, we have an audience mic here if anybody wants to jump in on this. Um, please challenge our views. Please jump in. And uh, again, four small words, but there's different angles. I'm just, I'm uh, still enamored of the question of say, yes, the top shows are Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, yada, yada, yada. But what happened in the 60s? Star Trek caught fire with people who were starting to bog down with either vapid sitcoms or, you know, endless westerns, or the fact that there was this whole lingering civil rights issue exploding, there was this war overseas no one was talking about yet, that changed over Star Trek's run, and all those things were happening when, you know, TV was so vanilla and Star Trek was so insidiously subversive because Gene sneaked those things on to get past censors. Well, now we don't have the censoring problem is such an issue. It's almost like now we have to sneak goodness and light in <laughs> because everybody thinks that the only thing it's going to sell is... I mean, that's, that's what... It's almost like... It would, would it be subversive to have a shining beacon of hope show? Is that going to be spin-off a uh, Kurtzman era show number six? We're going to do a crazy new format where it's a bright, shiny captain and a bright, shiny crew and they run around helping people. What a, ra- what a radical departure that would be for all you people under 30. Wow. I would, I would direct com- you back to the Orville. Uh, except the Orville's going dark too, so we'll see. We'll see. Let's let's do some line, folks. Good afternoon. Nice yeah. to meet all of you. Hello. Thank you for putting. Yeah. Thank you for spending the time to come talk to all of us. Thank you. Um, and again, thank you all for finding your way to the library. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I think this is our biggest crowd yet, <laughs> yes. which is great. We're, we're, so thank all of you. Yeah. Being being a, a lifelong Trekkie myself, but actually just happening upon this panel, I'm just here early for a different one, and I'm really happy I'm here. <laughs> Which Yay, happens? Thanks. I'm being okay, honest, but I'm really happy. I'm really happy. I'm here Did because I ever say how radium was when you guys when you guys say the tonal shift that happened between TNG and Deep Space Nine. I think a lot of it can relate to now because a lot of conversations happen in bars. That's where all the world's problems are solved, right? Right. When you go from the wise council of Guinan, who has all those lifetimes of wisdom, to a Ferengi that doesn't care about anything but money, that's running the bar. It kind of goes from the top down. And it's a bar full of not fake Exactly. And that's where everything, literally, even just the color of the show became more dark as the time went on. Yes, but even that Frankie that all he cared about was money throughout the arc of the show had character growth and found his quote-unquote humanity. And to see when him and Worf kind of joined together when he got his little tooth sharpener, started sharpening his teeth like Worf did. I love that part. So, yeah, yeah just, just even seeing the tonal shift of the show itself get darker and with them being on the edge of the neutral zone and things Root like that, it was, it was really kind of interesting to see how it did shift like that. Because yeah. I had the chance at that point to watch all the way through both series in one go, and I did have a very different feeling by the time it was all done. Hi. Hey. I, I was not going to bring up that I'm waiting for the Angry Video Game Nerd panel. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forbid we uh, acculturate you and cross streams. No. So, um, there, I don't know if you've heard of Cracked. It's a YouTube channel. They did a, they did a video that says uh, Star Trek. Oh, and they said only the, the Gene Roddenberry ones. They, they were talking about those. They said... 
They went from they're boring because it's not Star Wars. It, there, there's no goal. It's Star Trek. It's a it's it's a thing. They went from that and to that to it's a fascist dicta- dictatorial Ooh. regime. Oh, so I was yeah. just wondering uh, if you had any input on that. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's an awful lot of stuff on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you mention it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that, you know, you... When you talk about a like a post scarcity society and everybody's equal and um, lots of uh, equality, it, it can be misinterpreted if you have the right mindset to say that it has to be all squashed down, that no one has any rights and no one's allowed to do what they want to do. There's no it, liberty because it's, a, it's an, an, an unequal situation. I think the way that I prefer to view that type of um, society is that it's actually all cooperative, that we collectively as a society have raised ourselves to realize that all of these things are for the common good and it's voluntary uh, plus it's cool yeah and, and I think that's probably more likely in the Star Trek universe uh, because we have pretty good access to space travel and I think that people who are feeling as though their liberties were being trampled upon would probably take it on themselves to try and maybe go somewhere else so if communism worked <laughs> See, the whole, the whole paradigm, to me, the bigger shift, even bigger than Cochrane and Warp Drive, to me, the big change is replicator technology. Because now, it was a horrible thing for the writers to try to talk about, oh, the Ferengis are capitalists. Well, we have the whole thing, and Kirk refers to it in the original series, but when gold is, is, is just a bunch of atoms and molecules like lead is, then what's, you know, and you can make stuff, then what's the point? And your whole, our whole paradigm is upside down. And what, what does capitalism and communism mean when you've got that kind of technology? And you're not hoarding it, one group is not hoarding it from the other. That would be like the last straw. But that's, you know, that just, people get off these tangents and it's like, no, 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 let's really stop. And, and to me, that's the replicator is the thing that really unleashes what we think of as Star Trek to me, even more than having warp drive and yada yada. And, and let's not conflate, you know, fascism, communism, et cetera. The, the, the whole idea with Star Trek is, okay, we, what are the things we fight over now? Well, there are ideological reasons that we fight, but there's also resources that we fight over. We can at least eliminate part of that problem, which is that we're no longer killing each other for oil, for water, for food, for whatever, for space, you know, for a physical plot of land to be on. Once we get past that, can we also get past the ideological differences that divide us? Then who do we get to be after that? And Picard says it very well at the end of season one in uh, the neutral zone. Look, not a great episode. I'm not going to lie to you, all right? But... (laughs) He's got, uh, he's got a great line where, where he explains to one of the, uh, the newly thought out uh, uh, people from the 20th century, the challenge is that we better ourselves. That's what, we're not out to try to make a buck, because that's what one of these 20th century visitors is worried about. <laughs> that doesn't exist anymore. We're here to figure out who we are and make ourselves better. So that is the utopian ideal of Star Trek for sure. Everything else is detail. Everything else is structure. Like what, what do we actually do when we get there and, and how do we behave given this new freedom that we potentially would have? And I want to go back and watch that video because... Okay, yeah. It, it, it explains <laughs> it in better detail. In one point, it was yeah. compared to a cult. Yeah. So, so yeah... Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And just remember, you two people are always trying to do anything to get you to watch. <laughs> okay. 
Hey, hey guys. Hey. 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 Uh, so my name's Ian. Um, Aaron and I are on the uh, are on a an improvised Star Trek show. Uh, and basically, just to fill in what that means, it's not just like, whose lines it anyway, it's more like we are getting up on stage, there's about seven or eight of us, and without being in each other's brains, we try and put together an episode of Star Trek without any script or dialogue or anything. I mean, we'll have dialogue. But... Almost like it's narrative improv. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's narrative improv. Uh, so if you, if you know that term, I didn't when I started this, so I just figured that no one else would. Um, but in any case, uh, when I'm doing that, and Aaron, maybe you can attest to this also, um, we talk about the idea of staying positive uh, when we're doing scene work, um, and there are some pretty compelling reasons as to why to go about doing it, but maybe you could talk a little bit about um, your experiences being in that cast and what that was like, and maybe from that point of view, uh, why it might be... Uh, a good thing to focus on the utopian aspects of Star Trek rather than necessarily the dystopian ones. Yeah, it's it's actually quite interesting. We it's you know we're obviously not real Star Trek, but we've been we we're assembling a show that feels like it's Star Trek, and we're in 2019. And, exactly, um, and we have to treat it as if it's if it was Star Trek and bring in that positivity. And like, how do you do that when you're actually? dealing with people in an audience who are living in the world that we live in today and making it relevant for them based off of their suggestions. So it's, it's been, it's actually kind of a change in mindset, like how changing just our personality in this show, being positive, bringing that out is, is having ripple effects in our own life. So I think if you had a similar positive actual Star Trek, that, that it makes a difference. It, it can make a difference across you know, society. It's Star Trek always has. Uh, Gene Roddenberry started seeing, you know, he was a cop. So he saw the darker side of things, but still well, found that positivity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and so I think if we can, you know, utopian might be not quite the right word, but positive. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe a little bit more accurate. And hopeful. And hopeful, yeah. And there's, there's nothing wrong with being hopeful, which I think is, it's almost like there's a, Somebody out there, you know, saying, no, don't be helpful. Right, because in in classic Trek, it's not that everything was always perfect. Of course, there was conflicts and there was problems. But by the end of the episode, you know, maybe it was a little too neatly wrapped up. But there were solutions found (laughs) and they always, you know, ended on a positive note. Right. I will not kill today. gave you that hope that things can work out. I finally got the last word. I mean, all kinds of positive things. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Yeah, it was, thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how many we can do. Hey. Hey. My proposal <laughs> is maybe what we're seeing now is a bit dark, but maybe it is utopia. Okay, so walk, walk with me. Um, it's 1960, everything's reflected off the of mic? the Western just, you're seeing. Just, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey! Better. Yeah. There All you right. go. So in 1960, or whatever, you know, everything in Star Trek is reflective off the Westerns that you see. The Big Valley, whatever, and there are people pushing out and taking land and blah, blah, blah. But to them, it's, they're doing the right thing. They're doing what they want to do. I'm getting away from society because of, you know, whatever reason. Utopia. And uh, Star Trek reflected that. You know, the same thing with the 80s, and we pushed forward. I look at Discovery... That's my utopia. Nobody's telling the big alien dude, I can't remember his name, you know, put on different clothes or uh, grow some hair, make us comfortable. No. The woman who uh, was hurt so badly, they had to literally put her in a different body 
She's accepted as a part of a crew. Now, yes, we have conflict, and yes, it seems so dark, but our main character, let's not even talk about color. Our main character did everything she could to protect her ship, period. Okay, I've got a conflict with the captain. We've got to work it out later. But today, right now, I'm going to save some lives, and we work it out sometime. So from that context, maybe this is a utopia, and because the characters are growing on a personal level, more so than TOS, but kind of like a TNG, it's exactly what we want. You know, and, 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 and oh God, I'm so excited about Picard. It's not even funny. <laughs> but we watch Trek. Um, so we watch the characters grow on a personal level. It helps us grow on a personal level. And because there's a lot of conflict politically right now, that kind of makes us uncomfortable because now we have to reach out to people who don't look and act and like us and eat the same things we eat. And it's kind of scary. But utopia, and utopia ain't nothing if you t- unless you test it. So last point, even if we were all on a little you know, strip of land like that um, M. Night Shyamalan movie, you know, with the, you know, everybody lived off in a little, little like 1800. Yeah. 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 Even if we're there, you put one person in and suddenly we're all arguing and she won't dress like she's supposed to and that guy keeps cursing. It's not a utopia unless we're flexible to, to expand. So anyway, I'll take whatever comments off air. I'm going back to myself. <laughs> well said. Thank you. Thanks. That was precious. Yeah. Yeah. Do Do we have to have everybody agreeing on definitions and terms to have a utopia? Well, see, I, I think that's sort of the, the, yeah. the difficult thing that we were talking about that's earlier. Is, yeah. Itself, yeah. We have yeah. to define what that utopia is. I, I, I mean, I, again, I don't just with, mean the word utopia. Sure. I mean just words and phrases in general. Sure. And we have of ten different people have different uh, basic concepts that. In one century, all seem to be fairly obvious. Now, when you say word, you what do you mean by word? Sorry. I mean, right. <laughs> <laughs> it all depends on the definition of is. is. Yeah. Alien. That's actually exactly... Can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. That's actually exactly what I was going to talk about. I'm the weirdo who got into Star Trek because of Enterprise. Um, I've been listening to Mission Log since it first came out, and you guys have always been my connection to it, so it's great to put a face to the voices in my headphones. Um, and yet you stayed. I know, right? <laughs> it was nice to meet you, and thank you. Um, but for me, Star Trek was never about the idea of the utopia that we're all going to live in, because Star Trek's never really actually had a utopia in my mind. Even in the original series, which was probably the closest to it, um, sure, it might have been a utopia for a lot of the male cast members, but a lot of the female crew members probably wouldn't say that was utopia for them. I don't think there's ever been a utopia because I don't think there really can be. Everyone needs different things. Like you were saying about yeah. uh, Vulcan was utopia for someone, but it wouldn't be for someone who's highly emotional, right? Um, so to me, the, the wonderful part about Star Trek related to that was that good guys don't always finish last. Uh, it showed that when you had good moral character and you did good things good things would happen because of it, and you would actually do well because of that. Um, And I don't think that's passe at all. I mean, uh, I think it's less common in a lot of TV just because it's harder to do. It's pretty easy to write zombies killing each other. You have to be a pretty skilled writer to write good people doing good things and having them end well. Um, And, you know, not all writers are as skilled as other writers are. Um, but it's not just limited to Star Trek. If you look at a lot of the most popular shows out there, you have The Good Place. It's an entire show about the philosophy of trying to do ethics. Um, one of the most rewatched shows is Parks and Rec. Um, lots of people I know, when they're watching political stuff, they don't watch House of Cards, they watch The West Wing. Um, it's out there. It's definitely out there, and it's what's beloved. It's just it's harder to write, so there's less of it. But that's why that stuff gets rewatched, and the rest doesn't. We're not here having a House of Cards panel. 
<laughs> so, uh, two yeah. things real quick. Uh, if you're a longtime listener to Mission Log, then you know that uh, we had a, a running joke on the show for a long time during Next Gen that uh, we are the two guys who uh, peel potatoes. Because right. there's got to be somebody on the ship who, down there, in a deck that you never see in a room without windows, peels potatoes. And that's all I could think about when they announced Star Trek Lower Decks, is I'm picturing yeah. you guys yeah. being yes. in right? You're <laughs> waiting for the call, thank you. Um, but uh, you know that those guys who are peeling potatoes, uh, every few years, something happens that is so bad on the Enterprise that they announce self-destruct. And <laughs> these guys are like... Ugh. You know, sure, we're just down here peeling potatoes, but somebody upstairs gets to make the call that we're going to blow up the ship, all right? I didn't agree to that. I'm just peeling potatoes with all my potatoes. That is not a utopia for these guys. Exactly. I'm telling you right now, (laughs) totally not. They could be peeling potatoes anywhere where that would would be a much better Cisco's got a great restaurant that makes a weird assortment of foods back in New Orleans. They could be peeling potatoes (laughs) there. Yeah. Yeah. Don't they just replicate the potatoes already peeled? Okay, so, well... (laughs) Did you not watch Voyager? There's got to be a job for everybody. It gives an authentic touch. <laughs> okay, I'll remind you. I gave you guys like potato a massive peelers. multiplayer crossover yes. podcast <laughs> reunion. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, let's, let's get one more. Thanks for making the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey. hey. So I've been watching Star Trek since 79, definitely the older vintage, uh, probably one of the older in the group here. And uh, just listening to you talk, I thought uh, we'd talk about um, Gene Romberry's original vision and ideals of a utopian society where, you know, in the 60s, just like you said, he was a cop, he saw the darker side, he had an idea of how humanity should treat itself as opposed to what he saw on a daily basis. So he wanted to create a show, a wagon train to the stars that showed people what it would be like to live in a world where there wasn't hunger and death and disease and and hatred and violence. And he said to the executives, I said, we've got to show this. We've got to show equality. We've got to show um, racism in the future. It's, it's all got to be eliminated. We all got to live together. We all got to have a utopia to look forward to. But that doesn't necessarily mean that utopia is, is something that can exist. It's something we all need to strive for, but we can't live in it. How many doctors and Nobel laureates and scientists said, I wouldn't be where I am today, astronauts, wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for Gene Roddenberry's vision of a future that I could hope for in a hopeless world. Yeah. So if, if the question of the topic is, or if the topic of the panel today is about is a utopian a vision passe, that's a warning sign. If it is true that it's passe, then we need to do an about face and say, we have to strive for a utopia society, but we can never exist in it because it's, it's, it's a fallacy. It's not real. Because if, I mean, that's why Gene Roddenberry created the, the Prime Directive. If you get to that achievement of utopian society, and then you, 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 you think, well, where, where do we go next? What do we do next? And we start to move on the galaxy, and we start pe- seeing people that aren't in that same vision of our utopian society, and we say, well, we're going to impose our vision of utopia on you. So what you're saying is that the answer to the question is, I really, really hope it's not passe. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Great. We we have to wrap up, but uh, yes. I always thought it was like Gene wanted to do a show. uh, It's like, well, if we're in space, we didn't blow ourselves up, so that's the definition. You guys, thank you. (laughs) 
a bit of a clarification before we move on to what's coming up in the next few days. John had said that the Roddenberry panel, uh, you're going to hear that later. Uh, he didn't mean now. No. <laughs> We're actually no, going to no. put that. Uh, that supplemental is actually going to go out on the days uh, that supplementals normally go out. So Monday, actually, you will get to hear uh, that and uh, and and we're very excited to uh, excited to bring it to you. Well, I, I sort of wanted to explain to people uh, because they they may not realize or they may have watched ahead with Deep Space Nine, which is where we are now in regular mission log. But with convention season, particularly with uh, Comic Con and Vegas being back to back. Uh, it really throws the whole production schedule just out the window. So the best thing for us to do is we bring you a supplemental, which is one of our panel discussions, which I think are always rollicking good fun. And then we break that up with a regular mission log, then another supplemental, then another mission log. But scattered in between those, like you just said, Ken, on Mondays, you'll get maybe an extra, like a bonus panel thrown in there as well but it helps us it helps us to uh actually a get some sleep and uh, and b not be uh sort of punch drunk trying to record the normal show we we need that kind of downtime because honestly conventions are a lot of work well it's uh, also i mean it's also fun to bring uh people the conversations that we're having I mean, sure you know yeah. uh i'm very excited actually about the panels that we have coming up at stlv uh, which, gosh, one, two, maybe three. I'm not sure how many we're going to record. I'm not sure how many we're going to be part of, actually. Two, I definitely know about. Yeah. Um, but even before we get to that, uh, we're, we're going to party. We're going to party down. And I know John was just saying, hey, it's a lot of work. And I'm like, and we're going to party. But <laughs> yeah, we're going to party. The landing party uh, starts uh, 30th of July at the Masquerade Bar at the Rio. That's Tuesday night. So we will have actually already worked at that point. We will have set up our part of the booth. We will have done preview night. So basically the high rollers who come in and they, they're like, hey, I don't want to be here with the hoi polloi. Why don't you tell me personally what's going on? And of course, you know, we do our dog and pony show for that. And then we go down to Masquerade and party down. So uh, right. we hope you'll join us there. A couple of days later, Thursday at 11.45 a.m. is the Roddenberry panel. Now, we don't know what kind of part we're going to have in the Roddenberry <laughs> panel at this point. Funny story. We didn't know what kind of part we were going to have in the Roddenberry panel that we had last week at SDCC. So uh, it could be a lot. It could be a little. Please keep it locked in to find out more. That afternoon, uh, John Champion, Ken Ray, Rod Roddenberry at the Mission Log panel. Oh, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Do we have a topic for that, Mr. Champion? We do. We actually uh, came up with that topic uh, right before the deadline uh, for the program. And <laughs> <laughs> I like the topic, yeah. though. It's a good topic. Uh, Star Trek's job in the 21st century. Yeah, what is it? Does Star Trek have a job? And if it does, what is that job? I, I you know, the gears are turning already, Ken. I, I personally, well, I, I've 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 got some ideas. I think Star Trek must have a job. Whether you agree with what the job is, or whether you agree with how the job is is going, how Star Trek is doing the job it's been assigned. I mean, it must have a job, otherwise it would just be on the bricks, right? Maybe. There wouldn't be five or six shows and conventions both here and Europe and who knows where else. I mean, Star yeah. Trek's doing something. Uh, what's it doing exactly, and is that what it should be doing? So those will be the kinds of things we'll be talking about there. And, you know, Rod will be there, so there will also be at least one inappropriate comment, maybe several. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, total wild card. Yeah. You never know what we're going to get. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so later that day then uh, at the I-Bar, which for people who go to STLV, that's the bar basically right as you walk in the front door. For people who don't even have time to get to their rooms, they need a drink that bad. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the uh, I-Bar. At 6 o'clock that night, uh, the Roddenberry Podcast Network is actually having a happy hour. So come on by, say hey to the people from Women at War, Priority One, Daily Star Trek News. I don't know if the people from Shabam will be there. I assume they will be. Yeah. I certainly I hope, hope they will be yeah. because uh, we hung out with a couple of them at SDCC and they're fun. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last thing that we have planned, aside from being at the table, you know, the whole time, except for all these other times I'm mentioning, uh, Friday at 4 p.m., uh, the RPN panel, uh, which is uh, sort of mapping our way to the uh, to the, the good times to come in Star Trek's 24th century. Yeah. Yeah, so, so much going on at uh, STLV. And, of course, you know, the fun of STLV. I was talking about the hard work. You were talking about the hard partying. Those, uh, the, the, it's sort of, uh, they just bleed together. You know, you you just sort of forget because you're, you're down in the vendor room. Oh, like at the crack at 1030, if you're me. <laughs> and then... Um, <laughs> And then you're putting in a full day of uh, breaking for a long lunch. Uh, and then <laughs> but but within all of that, it truly is such a pleasure to meet and chat with everybody who comes to the table. And that's where we're going to be for the most part. So come to the giant Roddenberry Island, where, of course, as we mentioned on Mission Log Live, the fire sale getting rid of all the stuff, all of that merchandise has been sitting in the storage room. So that will be the end of the Roddenberry Entertainment merchandise. Uh, this is it. This is the last hurrah for that. Um, but then going out at night and having fun and, and just socializing with our Star Trek pals, that would be you guys, all of you, and, and us, your Star Trek pals. That's what it's all about. And if you're not going to be there, uh, first of all, the panels that we just talked about, we will, of course, be recording and bringing to you. Uh, John keeps threatening to do, like, some other stuff, like some video <laughs> things. I, I yeah, personally yeah. am into the idea of doing some random audio stuff, uh, hither, tither, and yon. So, uh, as I said before, uh, as they used to say in radio, keep it locked in right here, because there's plenty more on the way. podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network